It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! the meters. Wow, lots of level. Hi, you guys. How are you? Welcome to the big show for this week. You get the chat room open. Hello. Wow, busy chat room today. Great to see everybody. Um... I don't know why, but I'm really excited about doing today's show because it's Ask Michael Anything Day. We haven't done one of these in a while, and I've been so engrossed in getting the road rally ready to go that uh, I just haven't gotten around to one of these. Anyway, don't forget, the Taxi Road Rally coming right up November 4th. Well, check-in and registration Thursday night, November 3rd, with an open mic and a jam room. Um, jam room was so much fun last year then panels and interviews and all that good stuff and classes and one-to-one mentoring on Friday the 4th, Saturday the 5th, and Sunday the 6th. Um, Hotel rooms still going much better than we thought. Uh, Honestly, I thought we'd get half the number of people this year, but I think everybody's pretty much over the COVID. And so the rooms have gone faster than we thought. Registrations are higher than we thought. And uh, I worked a lot this weekend on the rally, and I'm down to getting commitments out of four more panelists out of the whole weekend, and then we will announce that. And then I go to work on the Taxi Road Rally sequels, which will be the live video stuff on Monday the 7th and Tuesday the 8th of November. With that, uh, I want to get going because we have a ton of questions for today's show. Looking kind of green, right? Yeah, kind of drifting in and out there. Anyway, um, is the schedule up yet? It's not, but it will be soon. Um, I'd say about a week because once I get it, it's not like we just take the Word doc and throw it up on the website. You know, people have to do stuff with it. Hello, Rolf from Germany. How are you? Congratulations. You just had a deal uh, recently, if I remember correctly. I think I saw it in the new member deals or something. Anyway, congratulations. All right. Let's get started. Like I said, a ton of stuff. All right. Uh, want to know what production music libraries are looking for? I can tell you exactly what they're looking for. I know you're waiting with bated breath. And the answer is they are looking for music they can make money with. They're not looking for music they love. They're not looking for, wow, that's the best lullaby I've ever heard they would take a lesser lullaby if they thought they could make more money with it than a better lullaby. So they are looking for whatever they can make money with. And the truth of the matter is some libraries have certain types of clients, so they need more of this kind of music. Other libraries, production music libraries, uh, have a different type of client with a different type of show or shows, and therefore they don't need any light uplifting acoustic music. They do a lot of sports television with their clients, so they need like hip hop or hard rock, you know, aggressive, we are the champions kind of stuff. Um, So what are they looking for? They're looking for anything that they can make money with. It's just that simple. So when you are offered a deal from a library or you're researching production music libraries on your own, Um, look for the ones that get a lot of placements in the genres that you're strongest in. One question down. Ka-ching! All right, number two, want to know why Hollywood Studios won't use you, no matter how talented you are, 
to score their blockbuster movies, blockbuster being the operative word here. Why won't Hollywood studios or producers use you, even though you may be more talented than Hans Zimmer? Could be, but they won't use you. You, want, you know why? Because the people that put the money behind the film want to know that they've got a Hans Zimmer or somebody with a brand name like that involved in their film. It just makes them more comfortable. Um, they know that the score is going to work. They know that Hans Zimmer knows how to conduct, uh, you know, an orchestra on a soundstage. Um, they know that Hans Zimmer and his team of people will deliver what they need on time. They know that it will go wonderfully if they use somebody who is a brand name and has tons of experience. They may acknowledge that you are actually better at your craft, but they don't know that you've got all that experience. So. How do you become a Hans Zimmer? You work your way up with independent films. Go to your local colleges that have a film class. Be careful which ones you choose. Choose one that's got a real, you know, like NYU Film School, or UCLA Film School, USC Film School. Um, University of Texas, I think, has a good film school. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's UNT, I don't know. Anyway, find a school that has a really good film school and let the kids know that are in that program. I will score your student film for free, for the experience and for the credit. They don't have any money, so you're going to be doing it for free. I've said this before in the show. I'm going to repeat it again, and then on to the next question. That is 10 years ago or more, I was watching a woman who won score of the year for working on a Martin Scorsese film, and she made a point of telling the audience, if you want to know how to break into the industry, I scored Martin Scorsese's first film when he was a film student, I think at NYU. And they've been working together ever since. So not a bad way to go. Next question. Want to know, ooh, this is a good one. Want to know why your mixes don't sound like hit records? Hmm? <laughs> All right, here's why. Here are several reasons why. Number one. You have too many tracks. I've said this a thousand times. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So just because you can hear a flute part or a tambourine part or a third keyboard part or a couple of cool stereo guitars on top of the four stereo guitars you already have, just because it works doesn't mean that it works well. So the less parts you have, the better your mix will almost always sound. There are always exceptions, but I would call that one a 95%er. The less instruments you have, the less tracks you have, the better your mix will sound. And write your parts so that they interact with each other so they're not all happening at the same time. Don't do the Phil Spector wall of sound. Most people don't pull that off very well. Just saying. Okay, the second reason, um, that your mixes don't sound like hit records is because you've never been trained by somebody who has made hit records or mixed hit records. I was very fortunate that I worked in a world-class studio and got to be around the best in the business on a daily basis. I learned what a great kick and bass guitar relationship sounds like. I learned what great stereo guitars sound like. I learned what great reverb sounds like. You're probably isolated at home working out of a home studio. You don't have 10 or 20 or 30 other people in a building with you 
that you can pull into a room and say, how's my bass and kick relationship? How are these guitars? Do they sound like they're spread too far? Is there too much reverb? Are they overly bright? So you've got nobody to get opinions on, uh, on your stuff. Nobody to get opinions from on your stuff. Got it that time. So what do you do? Go to forums with an S, forums.taxi.com and go to the peer-to-peer -peer section and put your stuff up there because there are a bunch of really talented, super helpful people in there and ask them and see what the consensus says. Is my bass loud enough in the mix? Is my kick in a good relationship with the bass? Are my guitars too loud? And whatever you play as your main instrument will almost always be a little too loud. We all know that, right? Okay, and the last thing that you can do to make your mixes sound like a hit record is use stereo compression on your bus. Honestly, um, the SSL bus compressor um, that I used to have on my SSL console, the first time I used that thing, I almost fell out of the chair. It, it's not an obvious sounding compressor. It's just a great sounding compressor. It's pretty much the industry standard. Uh, and you can buy it from Waves, and I'm sure SSL, I think, makes one, maybe Universal Audio. Um, I have found that the Waves plugins are really cost-effective and really good. Um, I think Chris Lord Algae has a, I think, I could be wrong, but Chris Lord Algae, the CLA series, through Waves, if not just straight-up Waves, SSL module um, with the stereo bus compressor. And you don't need much of it. That's the thing. It's not like you're going to press a button and it's going to instantly sound better, but it's going to sound, yeah, you know what? I just lied. It is going to sound instantly better. The SSL bus compressor set it like a three to one ratio and not hitting the compressor very hard, just enough. It adds what people commonly refer to as glue something kind of magical happens. It's not so obvious that you could pull a lay person who doesn't have ears into the room and say, what sounds better, this or that? But your fellow taxi members who maybe are a little more advanced at mixing will listen to it if they A, beat it and go, yep, that one sounds better. Don't tell them this one's got the bus compression and this one doesn't. Just say which one sounds better, A or B. And I'll bet you that 95% of the time they pick the one with the bus compression. Like I said, Waves, I mean, for probably, you know, 30-ish dollars, you can pick up a really good facsimile of the SSL bus compressor. Trust me on this one. It works. All right. Want to know where the sweet spot is to place a microphone on an acoustic guitar? I giggle. <laughs> I laugh. I see people saying, well, it's got to go on the 12th fret. Uh, it's got to go on the 14th fret. You know what? The sweet spot is wherever it sounds best with that player, that guitar, that room, and that song. If you're playing something that's capoed pretty far up the neck, you're going to mic the guitar in a different place than you would uh, if it's uncapoed and you're playing big, open, strummy chords on the ones. Um, different techniques for different songs. And honestly, the way I was taught, was a, a very famous producer that I was working with said, come out here, get on your knees and move your ear around. And wherever it sounds good, that's the best place to mic it. So a mic technique that works great on somebody that's playing something in the key of G, but they've got it capoed up a full octave, 
um, which would be pretty high, right? Uh, even if it's up a third, it's going to sound better mic'd in a different place. Also, is it something where, you know, they're hammering eighth notes and hitting it hard? Is it big arpeggiated things where you want a sweeter, more what I would call a honey dripping sound? Um, it just depends. So what you want to do is put on headphones and have one of your kids, your husband, your wife, a neighbor, somebody take a microphone and while you're playing the actual part that you're going to record at the level that you're going to record it and have them take the mic and just move it around. And don't get fancy with off-axis. Just go straight on initially and you're going to go, whoop, stop right there. Sounds great. Lock the stand. That's where you mic it. And take a good look at it. Take a picture of it with your phone from a couple of angles. So the rule of thumb is the best place to mic an acoustic guitar to get an amazing sound is whatever that song and the part dictates. Common sense. People overlook it. They think, I'm going to mic it on the 12th fret like that's some magical thing. Might work great for one thing, not so great for another. 14th fret, who the hell knows? Uh, no, not an 87. This is a gauge 87. A classic a true classic, I tell you. All right. Oh, you guys are going to love this one. Nope. Got one more to wait for that. You're going to like this one, too. Um, okay. <laughs> You're going to laugh at my props for this one. Um, how do you mic? What's the best way to mic an electric guitar amp? Um, <laughs> this is my speaker cone. That is the speaker code right there, baby. This is one of my all-time favorite electric guitar amp microphones. It is the venerable, trustworthy, you can hammer nails with it, Sure SM57. Costs about 100 bucks. If you don't have a couple of these in your studio, it ain't a real studio. You can use this mic. Snare drum, best mic ever. Some people would argue... They don't know what they're talking about. I'm a world-class expert. They must be rookies. They don't know. Now, 57 sounds great on a snare. Um, 57 is my go-to microphone on guitar amps. So yeah, there's the speaker cone. Some people do this. I'm gonna mic, you can't really see there. I'm gonna mic it off axis and be all fancy. I'm gonna mic it from out there. I'm gonna mic it like this. I'm gonna hang it by a piece of string. They try all this crazy stuff. You know what? Stick it right there, baby. Aim it you know, like two inches from the grill and aim it right at the center of the speaker cone. Right in there. If you move the mic, even if you're, if you're perpendicular to the speaker cone, and move it two inches to the left, right, top or bottom of the center of that cone where the voice coil is, it's gonna sound less good, a lot less good. Aim it right at the voice coil a couple inches from the grill. And then, once you've done that, take a large capsule condenser microphone and stick it out here three feet away. And then take another one of these bad boys and stick it out there 10 feet away or 20 feet away. And just screw around. If you've got the luxury of tracks, which you probably do if you're working in the digital domain, put each mic on its own track. 
um, unless you're kind of expert at this, I wouldn't blend them all to a single track because you may live to regret it. And what if you had a guitar player for hire and she or he went home and you'd have to bring him back. So yeah, just um, put the 57 on its own track. That's the one you're going to find almost always sounds best. Um, a 57, here's another uh, pro tip for you. Honestly, there are all kinds of people talking about all kinds of fancy-ass compressors. Um, use, again, the CLA, Chris Lord Algae uh, LA3 compressor that you can buy from Waves, typically $29 to $40, somewhere in that range. I used to love LA3s. Everybody made fun of me because they weren't fancy. They only had a couple of knobs, but you know what? They sounded really good. And lo and behold, now they're considered a very desirable piece of outboard gear. They cost more now than they did, you know, the actual physical ones cost more now than they did back in the day when I could pick them up for like $350 or something. And now they're like, I don't know, 800, whatever. Um, Anyway, I've got a couple couple different brands of them that I've purchased in the form of plugins. And while they may not sound exactly like the physical product, they sound really, really close. And they sound every bit as good. Maybe do they have a slight little difference in coloration? Yeah, but you know what? Nobody ever bought one less record because a compressor had an extra dB at top end or an extra, you know, quarter of a db of harmonic distortion whatever just get an la3 um, plug-in and use that with this microphone stuck right there dead center speaker cone couple inches out from the grill if you if it makes you feel more expert or something touch the grill shove it right in there <laughs> and uh yeah, I'm going to leave that alone. Anyway, you get the idea. That is how you get a great electric guitar sound. Works far more often than not. All right. Uh, a surefire way. I don't think I've touched this subject for at least a year and a half, but I think I did it last time with like a can of energy drink or something. This time I happen to have a microphone sitting here next to me. Surefire way. Guaranteed to work. To um, eliminate... Plosives, plosives, <laughs> popping peas. So the average person sings in, you know, they'll hang the microphone, look all fancy in the studio. Like, look at that, you're Barbara Streisand. Um, and they put the microphone right there. Plosive, plosive, blows right onto the capsule. So then you could take one of these, throw it on there, works pretty good. Or you could take one of those round thingies but you know what those things are unsightly and if i were a singer i wouldn't want to look at one of those black five inch round things so how can you avoid plosives by mic technique alone i don't know why everybody in the world doesn't use this where do singers sing right there what are they looking at lyric sheet now the rule of thumb in the studio is start here take your hand spread it like this and that's about the distance the singer should be from the microphone. If you were singing lead vocal with a 57, eat it. If you're singing with a large capsule condenser microphone, don't eat it. Not going to sound good. So they put the microphone right in the line of fire, so it's getting spittle all over it. It's getting air moving from the plosives. What about 
if you put the microphone up there and aimed at the mouth and put the lyric sheet there, the singer is going to be blowing all those plosive P's out there, but the microphone is still the same distance from the mouth, and it's going to sound every bit as good. You're welcome. I'm waiting to see the reaction in the chat room. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> it works so well. I don't know why they don't teach this stuff in school. All right. Uh, how to make publishers reach out to you time and time again. I'm specifically talking about production music libraries, which are film and, D, film and TV music specific uh, publishers. How do you make them reach out to you time after time after time? By looking at their catalog and giving them what they need. So let's say that you made an introduction. You got an introduction through Taxi for a specific listing. They sign that piece of music. Go look at their catalog and go, look at that. They don't have like any Middle Eastern instrumentals. They don't have very many French sounding accordion instrumentals. Um, the orchestral stuff they have, have sounds really dated, both stylistically and the samples. Um, gee, maybe they need to freshen it up. Oh, maybe they need to add some um, hybrids, an electronic hybrid to those orchestrals. So look and see what they need. Send them a one or two sentence. They do not need a paragraph. They don't need three paragraphs. They certainly don't need five paragraphs. Send them one or two sentences say, just saying, hi, I was you know checking out your catalog the other day and noticed you guys barely have any accordion music in there. I happen to be quite good on accordion. Can I please send you some tracks? I was thinking about sending you stuff that sounds kind of French. Is there anything else you need? Boom, done. And the other thing you can do to make them call you time after time after time is act like a professional, not somebody who is insecure, unsure, and needs a lot of hand-holding because that will make them not want to do business with you. They want to do business with people that make their lives better. How do you make their life better? By giving them music that they can sell, which was the answer to question number one, giving it to them on time, giving it to them the right way. Just be a pro. It's really not that hard. It's like taking a book, checking a book out from the library and making sure you returned it on time. If you're the kind of person that returned your library books late every time, you may want to pick another industry. Just saying. Um, how to approach an industry pro at Taxi's convention. Uh, hold on, I need a prop. I'll be right back. Hi, my name's Michael. My music is amazing. You should check it out. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. It makes you look inexperienced and amateurish. Um, by the way, great album cover. This is from Elliot Park. Oops, <laughs> it's see-through. <laughs> Here, there's the entire see-through version. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what? Everybody loves to talk about himself or herself, or I don't know, do you say itself, themselves, themselves, themselves. Um, I strive so hard to get this stuff right, but I'm old, you know? I've got familiar habits that date back to the 50s. Anyway, uh, they, 
love to talk about themselves. So if you saw an industry person on a panel and the panel's over and you've moseyed out to the concourse outside of the ballroom and you see that person heading to the restroom, what do you do? Follow him into the restroom, stand next to him at the urinal and go, hey, how you doing? I'm Michael. <laughs> yeah, don't shake their hand at the urinal. Not a good idea. Actually, don't even follow, him, follow them into the restroom. Wait until they go to the bar, somewhere where they're stationary so you don't have to like run after them and chase after them like you're going to rob them or stalk them or something. When they're up at the bar, whip out your wallet, walk up there, you think I'm going to say buy them a beer. No, they won't be that impressed by that. They, they can see through that. We'll just walk up and say, hey, John, my name is Michael. I just saw you on that panel in the ballroom. Thought you brought up some great points. I just want to know. How did you get into the industry? Everybody loves to answer that question. How did you get your start? And they will tell you. I flew out here, you know, from Chicago in 1989, and I waited tables, and I was a car parking guy, did this, did that, and then blah, blah, blah. The story really doesn't matter, but keeping eye contact with them and do your best to act genuinely interested, they may actually be interesting listen to his or her story. And then they're going to finish up and say, how about you? What made you decide to be in the music industry? Keep it short. Keep it succinct. Pretty funny coming from me because I'm famous for telling long drawn out stories. But yeah, don't do as I do. <clears throat> do as I say. Keep it short. Well, I moved out here in 1998 and I wanted to blah, blah, blah. I joined Taxi in 2012 and now I've got stuff in 12 different production music libraries and orchestral instrumentals are my main thing. And then if they need orchestral instrumentals, they're going to say, oh, I can always use some of those. Do you have a card? Do you have a thumb drive? Do you have a CD? So there you go. Um, just ask them about how they got their start in the industry. It's funny, I'm gonna get a phone call right, I'm gonna get like 10 phone calls right after the rally. Strangest thing happened. I had like 35 people walk up to me this weekend and asked how I got, asked me how I got my start in the industry. <laughs> All right, uh, oh, here's another classic. Here's my prop. All right, here's one I've never taught before on an episode of Taxi TV. So we all know that when you're recording vocals, Man, they do such a bad job. I love Audio-Technica headphones. Trying to find, there it is, the L is buried in there. You can't even see it. I got recently got another pair of Bose um, noise-canceling headphones for airplane rides. My old ones, I've replaced the ear cups like three times on them now. The headband is starting to fall apart, so I said, screw it, these are like 12 years old. I'm going to buy some new ones. They put the L and the R in there can't miss it it's great because i'm telling you this one impossible i know where it is and i can barely find it okay so we all know the trick you're singing a vocal one ear on one ear off what nobody pays attention to is the ear that's off is like a little speaker that's only eight inches away from your mouth which is only six inches away from the microphone so now you've got an extra sound source playing a rough mix in mono, well, you know, half, half stereo coming out of one side. So here's what you do. Pay attention, children. Take a piece of neoprene. Uh, not foam rubber. Doesn't work as well. Neoprene, like wetsuit neoprene. 
and cut it out so it perfectly hits that, fits that hole and shove it in there. Don't glue it in there. You will live to regret that. <laughs> Neoprene, right there. <laughs> My headphones are backwards. Now, when this thing's back there, it's totally blocked off. Makes sense, right? Common sense. I'm telling you, if the world paid more attention to common sense and context, um, it would be a much better place. Good use for your old mouse pads. There you go, Pat Wara. You've got your thinking cap on. You know what? <laughs> I can't hold up anything great. This is the mouse pad that I started Taxi with 31 years ago. Same mouse pad. About once a year, I take it into the shower because it gets you know hand grime on it. I take it into the shower and uh, and lather it up with a bar of soap and then squish it with my feet to get all the grime out of it. Still looks reasonably good for being 31 years old. Better than I looked at 31 years old. Anyway, okay, that's that. Man, we are making really good progress. Um, okay, now we were on to questions from you guys. Um, Liz handed these off to me and she offered to clean them up and edit them and I said no because I once got a nasty email from somebody that said, you reworded my question. And that's because I couldn't really understand it, to be honest. So I tried to make sense of it and it really upset the person. So uh, these are a bunch from a taxi member named Icon Rolo. Uh, and I'm going to read them exactly as they are written. I am, I'm just doing that, okay? I'm not going to try and interpret. Um, he's got a bunch of them. So I'm going to try and understand. Anyway, here we go. Number one, why don't Taxi let the main company and company's employees who are looking for the music listen to the submissions before having Taxi people try to decide for them? Sometimes Taxi trained professionals are off when it comes to picking scores and music instrumentals for companies. The reason that they have us do it is they want somebody to filter and eliminate all the stuff that isn't viable for them. Either it's not good enough quality or it's not on target for what they need. They would have to hire, like we have anywhere between like 20 and 40 screeners that are active here in any given month. So can you imagine if they had to hire Let's say they paid people an average of $40,000 a year and they hired 25 of them. That's a million dollars a year that they would spend, um, Icon, just to make you happy that they would listen to your music other and not have Taxi filter it for them in advance. The top people still aren't going to listen to it because they just don't have the time. Okay, number two, also from Icon. Why don't Taxi list the direct company's name who are looking for the music? The answer is because if we said that John Doe at Warner Brother Records is looking for music for Ariana Grande, my favorite artist to reference because I remember her name so easily, rolls off the tip of the tongue. If Warner Brothers put the word out on the street and we just put the word out on the street. Can you imagine? We've got 125,000 people. And no, they're not all taxi members. We've got 125,000 people on our email list. Can you imagine 
if 125,000 people, and that's just taxi. What about if the rest of the world knew? Potentially millions, realistically millions, musicians all over the world knew this person at this company is looking for this kind of music for that artist. What do you think would happen, Icon? Would they get like a mail truck full of music every day? Of course they would. And who would listen to that? There you go. Um, is Taxi a real company? Go to taxi.com, our website. You're a member, you don't know this? Why did you give us money? <laughs> is Taxi a real company? Um, I'm not doing this for my health, that's for sure. Um, go to taxi.com and, and look at, click on any button that says success stories. Look at the success stories on our forum. Look at the success stories that our members mail in all the time. Uh, if we weren't a real company, do you think we could be around for almost 31 years and be a fake company that's not doing its job exceptionally well? Doubtful, right? Uh, number four. I like this one. This is my favorite one of the bunch, I think. Is Taxi a part of conspiracy theories or Illuminati? <laughs> I don't. No, we're not. Number five, how many people do Taxi have listening to submissions? Uh, we typically, like I said, have like 20 or 25, maybe as many as 40 or 45 in any given month. They are all independent contractors. They work on an as-needed basis, depending on which listings, which genres, how many submissions we get, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. It's not just three people. And, and if you, you're welcome to go to our website, taxi.com, and uh, underneath where it says about taxi, you'll see A&R team and click on that and look at the resumes. And frankly, if we're guilty of anything, it's not keeping that list updated as much as we should. These people all have incredible resumes. Um, if taxi never existed, what company similar to taxi would you recommend? I can't. Honestly, if there was another company out there that did anything close to what we're doing with the same level of commitment, expertise, and integrity that Taxi does it, I would tell you about them. Um, we've had so many competitors over the three decades we've been in business that have come and gone. Some of them funded with tens of millions of dollars and with huge people from the industry behind them and involved in them and the faces of them. And somehow they've all gone out of business. Do you remember even Universal? Universal Music had one called the Farm Club. Out of business. Why? Because they found out how incredibly expensive it is to um, operate a company that, op that actually does this job with integrity and, and does it carefully and does it really, really well. Um, a lot of people didn't have the wherewithal to do the level of hand-holding that's necessary for us to help move our members forward to take them from being amateurs, which is defined by you're not getting paid for what you do yet, and turning them into professionals. It's tough. It's really tough. So honestly, I've never seen one company where I can say, they do a really good job. If we didn't exist, I would send you over there. Um, 
when will Taxi offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to individuals like myself to get better in the areas where I am lacking for my submissions? Um, we actually do that in the form of, of the critiques. Um, we've considered doing one-to-one -one coaching like we do at the road rally. Um, it's just difficult. Uh, you know what? People don't show up on time for appointments. How many times have you gone for a doctor appointment and somebody inevitably walks into the little waiting room area and says, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. There's traffic on the 405 or, oh, I totally forgot. I just remembered it. To do it on the scale and to do it as well as Taxi endeavors to do everything that we do um, would require a massive amount of coordination. And we would have to obviously do it online, do it via Zoom or something. And I, we wired this office and the cubicles that the screeners used to work in before they became remote. Um, we wired all of those so that they would have internet, obviously, at every cubicle and high-speed lines, blah, blah, blah. And we thought that someday we might do it. But every time we sit down and take another hard look at that, we go, eh, I don't know. Maybe we should. So I can't say we never will. We would like to. But the critiques, you know what? You can also order custom critiques from Taxi. Just go uh, search Google uh, Taxi Custom Critiques or call anybody on our staff at 818-222-2464 and they will be happy to tell you how to submit a custom critique, which, was, which is much more elaborate and in-depth than a standard critique. Um, Pat Wara, I'm not uh, taking questions from the chat yet, but I'm taking this one because I just it caught my periphery. Are the screeners required to use the same headphones as each other? No. Um, we used to have headphones here that they used, and most of them, frankly, were this these guys, which I believe are AT2020s. Audio-Technica, get your act together. You guys need to put the L and the R in a more obvious place and the model number where people can see it. Yeah, these are ATH. M20Xs. These were not expensive. We didn't want to get like really fancy, great sounding $400 headphones. First of all, they're just really expensive. But the, the bigger reason, quite frankly, is people used to steal our headphones. We would get like 10 or 20 new sets of headphones and a month later we would have half of them. And the bigger reason is why don't people use fancy, great sounding monitors in studios? They pick stuff that's kind of mediocre because if you can get it to sound good there, it'll sound good anywhere. <clears throat> so we sampled several headphones. These guys had like the right amount of bass, the right amount of treble. If they have a negative, it's they do give you a little head compression fatigue after a while, but they sound pretty darn good. Um, I've got a more expensive pair of ATs at home that only sound, and they were like five times, six times the price. Frankly, they only sound marginally better than these, but now that the screeners are all working remote, I would venture to say that the vast majority of them are working on studio monitors, near-field monitors that they have in their home studios or listing rooms. Okay. Um, why do Taxi stop put fees on everything? I think he means, I'm going to interpret this one, why doesn't Taxi stop putting fees on everything? Um, I had to pay to sign up. 
okay, do you pay for your cable bill or your streaming services? Duh. I don't mean to be a wise ass about that, but let's get real. Just because you want it for free doesn't mean that we can afford to give it away for free. We got to eat, you know? Uh, I had to pay to sign up. I have to pay to submit songs. Why do we charge $5 to submit songs? Because if we didn't, people would send in every song they've got for every listing. Why not? The company would have been out of business in 30, 60, or 90 days. We don't have the manpower to listen to, you know, 4,000 songs per listing when we know that 3,900 of them aren't even in the right genre. So that's why we charge that because a very smart gentleman with a lot of experience who did this before me named John Brahaney said, you got to charge a submission fee. He was right. Thank you, JB, up there in heaven. Um, I have to pay if I want to attend the LA seminar. Well, the seminar is free for you and a friend. You don't have to pay for it. Do you have to get here to Los Angeles? I'm assuming maybe you don't live here because of the way that was written. All right, well, that's great. If you want to go to the Super Bowl, they're not bringing it to your town, right? You got to go to where the Super Bowl is. The Taxi Road Rally is the Super Bowl of music conferences, so you shouldn't miss it. Um, I have to pay to renew the account every year. All right, tell you what. Next time you go lease a new car, you walk in there and say to the person selling you the car, all right, so this is a three-year, 36,000-mile lease, right? Yep, okay. At the end of three years, I'm just going to renew that lease for free for another three years. And then at the end of that three years, I'm going to renew it again for free. It's not the way the world works. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. Is Taxi a seniority-based company? I don't know what that one means. I just don't know. Uh, when will Taxi give back to the taxi community? Well, I have a question for you, Icon. How much are you paying to watch this? Just saying. Um, how much do you pay to use the forums at forums.taxi.com? Goose eggs. How much do you pay to attend the road rally? Assuming you can get there. Goose eggs. Um, we give back a lot. Uh, we've actually donated considerable amounts of money to big universities, like pretty big amounts of money to do um, scholarships for kids in music school. We do all kinds of stuff we don't crow about behind the scenes, but trust me, we do a lot for this community. I don't mean to be immodest about that, but you asked. All right, next batch of questions. This one's from Ewart Williams. Yo, Ewart. Should we get all LLC'd up at this level of producing cues and instros for film and TV? In other words, do I need to like incorporate my company, do a, an S Corp or a C Corp or an LLC? <sighs> Honestly, the answer is no. Once you, once you start generating... $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 a year. At that point, I would consider consult with a, a lawyer, um, consult with your accountant. The one thing that having a corporation or an LLC will help you with is if somebody sues you for copyright infringement someday, even though you didn't actually infringe their copyright, but they think you did, you can't just go, no, no, I didn't do it. They, they will sue you anyway. Um, they'll find some piece of <clears throat> lawyer 
that will basically use that threat of decimating your bank account to get you to write a settlement check. Um, I doubt that it's going to happen to anybody, by the way, Ebert, to give you a little comfort. I seriously doubt that anybody is going to sue you over a 90-second instrumental cue. Uh, there, a single cue really doesn't make that much money in its lifetime, if it makes any money at all. So why would you want to sue somebody? It's a much different case than suing somebody over, you know, a song by Ariana Grande, um, and you claim, hey, I wrote that song 15 years ago, and you can prove that you played it for her producer, her A&R person, Ariana herself. Not that she, um, Ariana, if you're watching today's show, I know that you wouldn't actually jack somebody's tune. Okay, I'm just using you as an example because I love you so much, your music is so awesome, and for some reason, I always remember your name. Um, but having an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp um, gives you the, the, the protection of that corporate shell. Here's an interesting fact, though. Do you know that if you are incorporated and let's say you charge a bunch of stuff um, to your corporate credit card for personal stuff, um, that technically you have exposed, you have pierced your own corporate shell, which would allow somebody in a lawsuit to come after you um, and, and disregard that protection that the corporation offers you. So they could come after you personally. I was in the middle of a lawsuit for five years and they tried that shtick on me. Thank God. You know, they want to see, are you paying, you know, for your kid's college on your credit card? They're not going to ding you for a meal. Okay, so I worked until 10 o'clock at night, and I took, went out and got a burger and charged on the company credit card. Um, they're not looking for that. They're looking for stuff that's a little more serious and egregious than that. But if they find it, they will use that as a lever to pierce your corporate shell. Um, but honestly, you're accountant and your lawyer would be better able to advise you and they will be more than happy to line up and charge you thousands of dollars to set it all up. I can't tell you for sure. I do know people that have used entities like LegalZoom and other things like that. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I can't answer that question any better. Um, Let's see, from Ron Svoboda, will we be meeting the listeners? I think he means the Taxi A&R team, the screeners at the road rally. They initially know us by name when screening, but it definitely would be an advantage if the listener knew more about us. Hope their badge indicates listener, maybe not by number. No, we're definitely not going to give you their numbers. Um, some of the more successful taxi members claim to have met most of them eye contact and handshakes are key um there they will be there i can't tell you how many of them at this point are going to be there but several if not many will be there um many of them will probably be doing one-to-one -one mentoring and the the eat and greet luncheons um i'm sure it can't hurt to make eye contact and, and handshake but you know what um, I don't care if you gave them a 90-minute professional massage in the lobby where everybody could see. Um, they're not going to forward your music anymore. I, it, it is true. I will agree with you, Ron, that, that relationships are key. 
But when it comes to judging music, they're not going to go, you know, this is actually kind of not really that good or not on target. But I remember meeting that guy over a beer at the Red Road. I'm going to forward it anyway. If I ever found a screener that did that, he or she would not be working here five minutes later. It is all about is the music on target and is the music over the quality bar. Because Taxi's reputation and the reputation cumulatively of our thousands of members all over the world rests upon the quality of what somebody gets um, when they, you know, when they open that uh, disco file and start listening to the music. Here's how seriously we take this stuff. I've been doing this job now for almost 31 years. I'm the CEO of the company. You would think I'm a big, important guy that gets to take Fridays off and play golf, and I fly around in my private jet. Um, none of that is true. I have played golf on a Friday, though. <laughs> um, this past Thursday night, what did I do for three hours sitting at home from 7 p.m. until 10-something p.m.? I sat there and listened to somewhere in the order of 40 or 50 different instrumental cues that were going to what promises to be a very high-end, very classy, very desirable music library to be in, which has recently been started by some heavyweight industry pros that had never run taxi listings before. And I heard they were starting a new uh, company and I reached out and said, come on, all your competitors, excuse me, all your competitors use this, you should use this too. And they said, you know what, you're right. So they ran some listings and um, our screeners did their thing and then our head screener double checked it and then maybe even Tom and Eric checked it. The other two guys are on staff in the A&R department. They're not screeners, but they actually like bring the listings in and schedule the screeners, all that kind of stuff. Um, I still asked to get this music into my hands and I sat there and listened to every one of those cues in full, most of them two or three times, and picked out the order that they should go in on the disco that was sent to the client. <clears throat> That's how seriously we take the quality of the music that we deliver from this company. That the CEO would spend three hours and change on a Thursday night when I could have been watching House of Dragons, House of the Dragon. Um, could have been doing a lot of other stuff. But I wanted to make sure that, that client heard that stuff and went, wow, <clears throat> excuse me, what a tremendous resource Taxi is. I can't believe we've never used them before. We have to run listings because they're building a brand new catalog. Who better than industry pros building a brand new catalog that I'm sure will have distribution by one of the majors and we'll get a lot of great placements because these people have been around the industry for 25, 30 years. I want them to build most of that catalog through Taxi. So that's why we do it. Um, will we be able to select our preferred panels before registration day? Yeah, you don't have to like say, okay, I'm going to that panel, then you have to go to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. thought I had a cough drop. I don't. Anyway, you go to any panels you want. You can walk into a panel midway. You can leave a panel at any point in time. You're not locked in. It's like, Ron Svoboda, please be in room 312 at 4 p.m. sharp. And if you don't show up, you're out of luck. Um, 
You can go to anything you want, Ron. Okay. Um. <laughs> I think he's joking. I think I've met Kerry. Uh, this is from Kerry Cox. I've met him a couple times. I remember liking him. I think I actually met Kerry's wife at the road rally once. Um, where are the listings for stiff, obviously MIDI-driven tracks with unconvincing-sounding virtual instruments? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We get those from time to time, not very often, but those are called chiptune listings. 16-bit, 8-bit, you know, like uh, Mario... That's all I could tell you, Carrie. I think you're kidding, right? Or maybe you just got a return that... Uh, said that your stuff sounded stiff, obviously MIDI-driven. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Pretty funny. Oh, uh, Liz has a cough drop. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Ricola. <laughs> now I'm going to get dinged by YouTube for singing on my own show. All right, so now I'm going to be talking with a cough drop in my mouth. Sorry, but my throat is tickling. Dan Weber, chiptune, first placement. There you go. Um... Okay, again, sorry for this, but I feel like I've got... I woke up today kind of congested, not COVID. Isn't that funny? Now, anytime you feel like a little crappy, you got to go, not COVID. Don't want to scare anybody. I coughed in a grocery store the other day. I was easily 10 feet from a lady in the produce department. She's like, oh, the horror. Um, okay, this one's from Bill Luce. When I submitted my song, I was hoping that a music publisher would request the type of song I submitted. My submission was not made for on-air use. It was meant to be sent to a print music publisher. Does your company do that? I'm sorry, Bill, but no. Um, I can't say that print music publishers don't exist, because clearly they do. I can't talk with this in my mouth. <laughs> sorry, guys. Very unprofessional. Um, print music publishers do exist. I mean, you know... Uh, what was it called? The the Mel Bay, you know, guitar books and such. Um, it's just they don't run listings with Taxi. They wait for something to become a hit, and then they license the right to print that song in print form and put it out in a music book or a sheet music. So, no, they don't come to us looking for, do you have any brilliant composers out there with music that nobody in the world knows of yet that we could sell a sheet music? Why would anybody buy that if they don't know the tune? Just saying. Matthew Levin. <clears throat> Matthew, I hope you're watching today's show. Um, turns out that you and I live like a half a mile from each other. I was stalking you last night. Did you see that car driving up and down your street? No. Actually, uh, we were looking you up in the database before because I said, you know, that name sounds familiar. I think I've seen this guy's name in the database, and he lives where I do. Don't mention it in the uh, chat room. Not that you couldn't find it online anyway. Um, Matthew Levin says, my last 10 submissions have all been screened by the same screener, and it has affected the rate at which my songs have been getting forwarded. None were forwarded versus the latter. I don't understand that. Um, has there been a shakeup recently with the screeners? Just curious. No, actually, um, Matthew Levin said, I met your friend. I don't have any friends. <laughs> uh, you have to call me after the show or call me tomorrow. I want to know which friend of mine you met. Um, that's funny. 
Jeff Greenleaf, Matthew is your cousin for real? Oh my God, that is so funny. Yeah, I know your street, Matthew. Um, some dear friends of ours lived on your street. They sold their house about six months ago. But we've got other dear friends that live like half block off your street. Um, anyway, so, no, there hasn't been a shakeup with the screeners. Um, how can I say this? If we had, let's say, uh, and I, the reason we checked you out is I wanted to see what kind of music you were submitting so I could answer this question well. And the first thing we listened to was orchestral trailer style, I believe. So we happen to have one screener that on a scale of one to 10 is like a 12.5 for that stuff. So he's our first call for that stuff. We've got a couple other screeners that are like an 8.7 and a 9.2 on a scale of 10. They are the second and third calls because we love this other person. First of all, his ears are great. Second of all, his choices are great as to what gets forwarded and what doesn't. And thirdly, he's a great communicator. Um, we found out that he is getting so busy um, on a compositional level. Um, he's a composer and um, conductor and stuff as well. He's getting so busy on big projects that we're not gonna be able to use him as much going forward as we like. So you may see less of that person um, affecting your stuff, but trust me, it's somebody that the members all love. Uh, and we just hired somebody, funny enough, you know how I talk about our screeners have incredible, impeccable credentials. They do, we've never used like interns. Some people have accused us of using interns, not even close. But we just hired somebody as a new um, orchestral screener who comparatively to this other person who has like this wow resume, this person on their own, you look at the resume and go, hmm, that's pretty impressive, especially considering they're very young. Um, I, and frankly, I don't know this person's age, but I would guess mid to late 20s probably. Um, and apparently this new screener, um, I'm quoting Craig, our head screener said, that new screen, I was sitting at, at uh, a wedding reception last weekend with Craig, our head screener, and he said, that new screener who does orchestral stuff is gonna have my job someday. Unbelievable, unbelievable ears, unbelievable critiques. So no, the only shakeup has been a good shakeup uh, other than we will be sad when our veteran person uh, can no longer do any screening for us, but we saw that coming and we've hired somebody new and we're always on the lookout for great screeners. So no, no. Nothing, you know, dicey to report there, sorry. Um, yeah, that's I got nothing else to add there. This is from Michael, G other than call me. Uh, I won't tell you where I live. Did I tell you guys somebody wants stuffed a dead rat in my mailbox? Um, a frozen dead rat with a note around its neck. And then during uh, the quarantine, during lockdown, somebody shoved a CD in our mailbox. Listen to my music. That was a little weird. Uh, this one's from Michael Godwin. On my, once my queue has been forwarded and picked up by the listing client, what are the procedures to look out for as I move forward? PRO account, IPI numbers, exclusive or non-exclusive wording in the contract. Um, this one offers 100% writer share, 50% upfront sync fees. Yeah, I mean, you know all the right stuff. Clearly you've been paying attention to your fellow members on the forum or watching Taxi TV. Um, 
all that stuff. I mean, first of all, you can take comfort in knowing that with the thousands of companies we've worked with in the 30-some years, 30, almost 31 years we've been in business, only twice have we ever regretted working with a company. We vet them all, um, and in both cases, these companies, had, their deal was one thing when they started working with us, and at some point they decided to change their business model, change their deal terms. They didn't let us know, and our members were like, holy crap, you guys told me this was a non-exclusive library, and now they're only doing exclusive. We didn't know. Sorry. Um, only twice, though, out of thousands, literally thousands. So our batting average is good, which means that the, you can rest assured the companies that you're working with through Taxi are not trying to scam you or rip you off. And virtually ask anybody who is successful in the production music library business um, who's a Taxi member who has signed with Taxi libraries. There are lesser, less good libraries out there. Um, they will tell you, the members, the veteran members who signed a lot of deals will tell you that um, They've had, they've found these companies to be reputable and honest in the way they work with them. And yes, IPI numbers, um, look for the wording and the contract. You can also hit up your fellow members on the forum. Don't say, I got a contract from this company. Can you look at to say, I got a contract. Um, and does anybody know a company whose first initial is the letter C? Uh, people, they do this, they exchange tips and things to look for in the contracts. Um, if there's any fault in production music library contracts, and this is something that's been pointed out by uh, Aaron Jacobson, my favorite music attorney on music library contracts for sure, um, is that people will do what's called Frankensteining contracts. They're trying to save money because they're a little tiny startup, usually one or two people in the beginning, and they just don't have $20,000 to shell out for a massive, you know, virginal, fresh from the start contract. So they take contracts that they probably received as composers over the years, and they go, oh, I always liked that clause, and they copy and paste it. And then, ooh, that's a good one. That protects us and the writers. So, yep, let's copy and paste that and paste it in. And they Frankenstein together contracts from two or three different countries. Uh, companies. Aaron very rightly points out that you should always watch out for different fonts. If you see different fonts in a contract, it's probably been Frankenstein. Now, were they doing anything horribly wrong? No, they're just trying to save money on legal fees. And trust me, 500 bucks an hour, it adds up. When you're doing a contract from scratch, 500 bucks an hour, you can easily drop five grand on creating a new contract, even though the lawyers don't like saying this, but they've got all the clauses in their computer and they basically copy and paste and then modify. Um, sorry, Aaron and all you other lawyers out there. Aaron's the only one I like, just saying. <laughs> I'm sure there are a couple others that I have liked over the years. Um, so even if you see something as Frankenstein, it just means there's liable to be stuff in there that may be contradictory or maybe, um, you know, paragraph two negates what paragraph four says or something like that. But they're not doing it because they're evil or trying to rip you off. Sloppy, yes. Broke, yes. In a hurry and desperate, yes. But how many times in 31 years have I received a phone call from a taxi member saying, oh my gosh, these people ripped me off, or this contract was really horrible. Never, literally never. So 
That's all you can do. It, it, rely on the experiences of your fellow members. And one thing they do recommend is when you get your first deal offer, take that contract and pay somebody like Aaron or another music attorney who actually really knows the production music library side of the industry. The vast majority of music attorneys don't know squat about it. Uh, if you say, do you know anything about film and TV music? Yeah, they licensed, they did the paperwork on an Ariana Grande song ending up in a Disney movie. That is not the same as can you look at this contract about my hip-hop instrumental cues or dramedy cues or whatever. Different animal, totally different animal. So um, I think it, I want to say that it was Matt Hurt, maybe our first really successful member. He paid a music attorney to go clause by clause, paragraph by paragraph, and explain everything that was in the first contract he received. And he said that experience was worth every penny because he learned so much that he was able to then take that knowledge and apply it to all future contracts. So there you go. Um, yeah, and, and as far as like, yes, you should set up a PRO account. You should have IPIs. 100% um, of the writer share goes to you. 50% of the up upfront sync fees split with you in the library. All standard stuff. Okay, moving on. Next one. This is from Anonymous. I'm familiar with writing cues as underscore, but want to branch out. Uh, would electronic pop and EDM always be considered instrumentals and follow the typical instrumental structure, or could they sometimes work or be written as cues? Um, I'm a little confused by that. Let me read this again slowly and silently in my own brain. I'm familiar with I want to branch out. Okay. Um, so writing cues is underscore. Basically, you're scoring something. Um, would electronic pop and EDM always be considered instrumentals? In so no, uh, instrumental cues, they don't always get used by um, reality TV shows, but oftentimes they do. If I had to guess, I'd say 70% of instrumental cues get used in reality shows. They certainly get used in other stuff as well. But reality shows typically have like 85 to 100 different cues in each episode. So just by virtue of that need, a lot of instrumental cues get used. They, An instrumental follows the developmental arc of a song with no vocal and probably some instrument picking up what I call melody light, rather than, I'm embarrassed to even repeat this because I've said it so many times on the show, melody light, think of yesterday, okay? Yesterday by the Beatles, 101 strings doing it. It sounds corny when you hear, um, you know, a, a viola playing the melody it's instead of Paul McCartney singing yesterday. Um, so with instrumentals for film and TV, rather than repeating or playing the entire vocal melody that you might have had, if you take a song and take the vocal out, do melody light, which is rather than four notes a measure, do one note a measure on the ones. You know, um, just lighten it up and, and don't make it sound like 101 strings. Um, that's an instrumental. An instrumental cue does not have an intro, 
generally, or if it does, it's really short, maybe boom, 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 and right into it, or, you know, not a 35-second intro like a song might have. Um, and basically, it's an A section from top to bottom, maybe a B section thrown in, which in this case is typically somewhat like a bridge, um, but it's a variant on the A section. And make sure that every four bars you're bringing in more instrumentation. So you're layering, building, layering, building. Hold on. I have a visual cue. Whoop, no, I don't. It's behind my green screen. And I don't want to drop the green screen and show you like people tied up back there, taxi members in cages. None of that should be seen publicly. Anyway, um, yeah, an instrument. <laughs> We had somebody that kept saying, I never get forwarded, and I always put in arcs. He thought arcs were like a literal arc, like the St. Louis arch. No, not that. An arc means like a story arc. It's building. It starts, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it develops along the way. So, intro. Um, give them a taste of what they're going to get, then drop it back down to a stripped-down version. Four bars layer bring in another instrument. Four bars after that, bring in another instrument, add a little interest. Four bars after that, bring in another instrument, add a little more interest, then drop it down to a B section, which is kind of like a bridge, maybe reverse the chord progression or something, and then do the build-up process again, crescendo it to a buttoned or stinger ending, ta-da, at the end. That is the nature and um, kind of the arrangement of an instrumental cue. So it's different than an instrumental um, and different than underscore, although you could use a cue as underscore. All right. Um, electronic pop and EDM, they use those pretty frequently. Um, is way, in what ways besides source music are instrumental used versus cues? I have to think about that. Um, Yeah, it's not always source music. Uh, let's take like a high-tech commercial that you might see, you know, if you're watching like one of those Sunday news shows um, and they've got a commercial on there for, you know, Old Dominion trucking because they think a lot of business guys watch these shows and have to move their goods for, from point A to point B. They might have an instrumental versus a cue that is the underlying music. It's not source because it's not coming out of the radio in the truck, it's just background music. So source music means that it's coming from wherever the actor is standing in a bar, in a restaurant, uh, sitting in a car, that if they would hear this music in real life coming out of a car speaker, out of the speakers in the ceiling in the restaurant, um, or a piano bar with a piano player playing whatever, um, that is, those are all examples of background source music. Background music means it's not coming out of a radio in a car, but it's playing when you see that old Dominion truck heading off, you know, down that freeway. So that's an example of where instrumental music might get used instead of a cue. Um, I hope that helps. I'm, I'm sure as soon as the show's over, I'll come up with many other better examples. But you know what? Come to the Taxi Road Rally, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, right here in beautiful Los Angeles, California, um, because there will be a massive information dump of stuff like that 
with so many industry pros, your head will be spinning and you will get answers and meet people who are actually really, 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 really helpful. Uh, and you'll learn so much. It'll move your career forward in ways that you could have never imagined. Did I just see Jimmy Carvalho in the chat room? I did. Jimmy. Bacon, brother. Bacon. <laughs> um, okay. This one's from Mary Fisher. How do you record whistling without capturing all the air noise? Oh, Mary, I love you for asking that question. I can't whistle anymore. I could as a kid. You're still the same distance from the mouth, but the whistling is going out there. Problem solved. Um, this one's from Betsy, Betsy Brightboard. Hope I didn't put your name. Sorry, Betsy. Uh, is there a maximum number of forwards on each individual call for songs? No. Maybe once a year, somebody will say, send us your best three. It's exceedingly rare that that happens. Almost, I mean, like 10 times in 30 years have I seen that happen. Um, in other words, the screeners, the screeners already know how many music tracks they're allowed to submit per company. Nope. The rule is whatever meets the quality standard and hits the stylistic target, those things get forwarded. As I've mentioned before in the show um, many, many times, so Betsy, clear. I know you're not watching every episode. Get with it. Anyway, it is, there are times we had one, I, I want to say it was like percussion instrumentals where we got like 800 submissions and 40% of the 800 submissions met those two criteria. They were on target and really good. So we now had 320 submissions that we had to send to one person at one company. If somebody called me or shot me an email saying, we're sending over 320 pieces of music that range from like 90 seconds up to two minutes, I'd be upset, just saying. So what we did was we reached out to the person and said, we found so much great music, it's like mind-blowing. Do you mind if we send you, um, like every other day we'll send you another batch of 20 or 50 or however we broke it up. And they said, no, great idea. So that's what we do if we get a lot of forwards. Um, Betsy, you must be a new member, but you haven't watched the new member Zoom yet, right? We do these things called new member Zooms where we talk about a lot of this stuff because you should know this stuff. And I'm glad you're asking the questions. I'm not, you know, like spanking you or slapping you on the wrist or anything for this. But we do cover this stuff in the new member Zooms and you can find them on the Taxi YouTube channel. Um, Liz, if you could find one, maybe post it in the, in the chat so that Betsy could go watch it later. Um, and other people who, you know, surprisingly, not all of our new members watch the new member Zoom. Go figure. Um, on average, how many tracks from members are submitted to the more popular requests? For example, do you get 897 submissions for just one request every once in a while? Does each one get a full listen and a fair review? Um, yeah, I mean, typically it depends. Like, you know, if it's death metal, we might get 27 submissions. Funny enough, 20 of those will be really good because not that many people make death metal, but the people who do are really serious about doing it well. 
Um, then again, if we run a listing for dramedy cues, we might get 150 to 300, let's say. That's probably a decent range. Um, yes, every one of you, I swear to you on my children that every single cue gets a full listen. It's not like the screeners go, well, we found a bunch of good stuff, so all this other stuff, yeah, yeah, return it, return it, return it. We wouldn't have a business for 30 years if we treated our members that way. So there's your answer. Feel free to show up at the office any old, well, you know what? Screeners don't work in the office anymore since COVID. They all work remotely. All right, I, Betsy, I am going to send you a list of the addresses of every one of our screeners. So when the show's over today, you can go knock in their door and, or, you know what, better yet, peek through the window, watch them and report back to me. Let me know if they're not listening to everything in full. Uh, honestly, you really have to, to write the critiques. And, and frankly, here's not a widely known thing. We don't keep it a secret, but oftentimes the screeners will go back and either re-listen to the full thing or go back and check out sections because they start typing usually um, when they're like 10, 20, 30 seconds in. They may notice that the intro is too long, their type intro too long or checking off that box. Um, and then they get to the end and they go, you know, I wonder if they should have only done eight bars of the B section on that queue rather than 16. 16 felt too long. I'm going to go back and check that out again. So they will go back and check out stuff that they feel they need a little more information on. So there you go. Um, It's a great question. If you're just a songwriter and not pitching yourself as a performing artist, is there any room for pitching your demo songs anymore in this business? Uh, yeah. Um, the quality of demos has skyrocketed over the last 15, 20 years because the quality of Pro Tools and Logic and Cubase, et cetera, et cetera, is so good that the barrier of having to pay you know, for an outside studio is gone learn Pro Tools, learn Logic, whatever. Um, you can make great demos all day long. People make demos that sound like finished records. Sometimes the demos end up being the records. not unheard of at all. Um, that said, look for the listings that say, the, the listings will actually say, some of our people, um, like some of our friends in Nashville, um, are more than happy to listen to a guitar vocal demo. If the song is so incredibly good, a well-played guitar and a well-sung vocal with nothing more than that, sometimes make the hair on your arm stand up and you go, that's a hit. By anybody's standard, that's a hit. Um, not too many people write songs at that level of quality. Um, they might think that they do, but when you hear, I, I've got a song I would love to play um, I just saw it today over on my shelf. It's the best example of a piano vocal demo that I've heard in my entire like 50 years that I've been in the industry. Um, yeah, I don't want to play in today's episode because we may get that, the episode taken off the air. Anyway, so the answer is yes. There are still a decent number of people. If you read the listings carefully, don't breeze through them. It'll say they're happy to listen to, um, I forget what we call, you know, simple piano vocal demos or fully fleshed out versions. So look for those. Um, this is from John Watt. 
How to avoid headphone leakage. Tightly cupping the phones to your head is something I always make my studio clients do, even to the point where I have to tell female singers not to worry about getting headphone hair. But if there's something I was overlooking, you should say. I said it already. Um, just in case you weren't watch watching the show 15 minutes ago, neoprene, baby. Go find somebody that's hanging their wetsuit outside, drying it off after a morning of surfing. Take a pair of scissors, chop off a leg and run like hell, and then go home and cut it out, fit it right in there. Don't glue it in. Just shove it in there, pack it in nice and tight. It works wonders. Um, this is from Pauly B. I recently watched a Taxi TV episode. Whoa, I can't believe we're almost out of time. Recently watched a Taxi TV episode regarding adding metadata to music files. While I can add metadata when bouncing MP3 files out of Logic, how is this done with AIF? Um, basically, um, I'm not familiar with doing it on AIFFs or Waves, but I know you can on MP3s. And honestly, MP3s are kind of the high quality MP3s are the standard for moving music around the industry. That's what people listen to. Nobody has ever lost a placement because the person auditioning the music went, oh my gosh, that MP3 is not as good as a WAV file. They listen to it and they go, yeah, that piece of music could work in the scene. And if they reach out, then they'll ask you for the WAV or the AIFF. So, MP3s are commonly used because you can easily embed the metadata. Um, what's the best DAW workflow approach to prepare for delivering mastered full and alt versions and stems? I've not done it because I'm an old dude. Microphones, wires, two-inch analog tape is my jam. Um, but you know what? There are a lot of people in the Taxi Forum at forums.taxi.com that can answer that question for you. Um, bouncing each of those options, option, oh, option one, you know what, just ask the forum on that one. Um, I don't know, I'd be lying. And okay, let's do, we've got nine minutes left. Um, let's take some from the chat room. Please type the word question. Thank you for understanding, Polly. I just don't want to make it up, but there are a lot of people in our forum that know way more than I do on that subject. Um, actually, Liz, can you go grab that piece of vinyl that's probably sitting on Tom's desk and bring it down here? I got to show you guys something that I found today. It's going to freak you out. Freak me out. Uh, so here's the drill. Type a question. Whoops. If you would be so kind as to put that in front of your questions. Here's one from David Berube. Uh I probably mispronounce it. Uh, what materials do you recommend bringing with you? Laptop, notepad, MP3 of our music. Um, again, I would ask this question on the forum, if you would, please. It's mine now. <laughs> You're never getting your hands on it. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, bring your music on your phone or an iPad or a laptop. Um, we are 
trying to work out a deal with a major headphone manufacturer. They would like the people during one-to-one -one be, to be using their headphones. Uh, but, you know, like, I can no longer plug a headphone into my phone. It doesn't have a headphone jack. Uh, I've got to use an adapter with a USB-C. I'm pretty sure Apple people have to do that with a lightning thing. So we're trying to figure it out. Bring it on your phone. Bring an adapter where you can plug... Um, where the hell did it go? Where you can plug one of those little babies in. A nice little quarter or eighth inch uh, ring tip sleeve mini jack. Um, yes, bring earbuds. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Um, thumb drives are really cheap right now. Some thumb drives with your music. Um, although I will admit, sometimes people give me thumb drives and listen to the music up. Okay. And then I use the thumb drive for something else later. Uh, but if they hear great music, they're not going to wipe your music off the thumb drive. That's the number one rule of the music industry. People want to find great music. Everybody thinks they're trying to break hearts and go, oh, you're not good enough. Got to keep you out of the industry for this reason or that reason. No, they're looking for great music. If they find great music on a thumb drive, they're going to keep that music. Bring business cards, bring thumb drives, bring CDs. I know they're old school. Uh, it's getting to be harder and harder to find a CD player, but couldn't hurt. Uh, but ask the people on the road rally section of the taxi forum at forums.taxi.com. Um, and they will tell you what they've done successfully. Um, Dreams of Denny's Saturday morning. Yeah, travel with a crowd. Century Boulevard has gotten pretty dicey. Um, Elliot, you're going to be there to meet Dean Crepane and maybe ML. Uh, Mark Real. Uh, we're going to do, I don't have the content decided on for the Road Rally sequels, which will be the video thing I'm going to do on Monday and Tuesday after the Road Rally. But if you look at the videos from last year's prequels, that will give you a pretty good indication. Ah, wires will always be on the left ear can. Why? Because the wire is on the right, interfere with the right hand of guitar players. Wow, good. I've never heard that, Geo. That's great. So he's saying that the wire always comes out of the left can, left side of the earphones. You're right. There's the wire and there's the letter L. That way, it doesn't get in the way. Brilliant. You learn something new every day. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, I've got to show you guys this. Look what I found today. Um, several years ago, a really dear friend of mine, who was a business partner in a studio with me in Florida like 40-some years ago, um, passed away. And uh, his ex-wife, who he was still friendly with, and I'm still friendly, said to me, by the way, uh, when you were going through your divorce, 38 years ago, whatever it was, first wife, um, you left all your vinyl in our basement and I just sold that house and I moved. I'm sending you a big shipment of your vinyl. Uh, all the stuff that my ex-wife and her boyfriend didn't steal from me. Anyway, uh, I was here Thursday night, work. I think it was Thursday night, working late and 
all that vinyl is sitting in the office next to me, which is where my wife usually resides. And I said, I'm going to go look through there and see what's in there. I found Meet the Beatles that I bought when I was nine years old, when the Beatles first came out. This is a mono original Meet the Beatles. And I pulled the disc out and I got to say, it's in pretty darn good shape. Ah, guess what I'm going to be doing after work tonight? I'm going to be listening to Meet the Beatles on my brand new Yamaha MSP7 monitors and nobody will see me dancing. Nobody. Okay, question. Whoa, baby. He just jumped all over the place. Let's see if I can get back to where they are. Wow, I pronounced uh, David Berube's name correctly. Yay. Yeah, we've talked about uh, headphone splitter, um, Jimmy. Best mic technique to record a trumpet solo? That's a really good question. It all depends uh, on the part. You know, if it's a very legato, like dreamy, jazzy part, I would probably use an 87 or any of 414, any, any of the large condenser mics. I mean, frankly, that $100 Audio-Technica AT2020 would be just fine. Um, what you don't want to do, it, it depends on the part. If it's a very, you know, like staccato, uh, high register thing, give the mic. I'm looking for a trumpet. Do I have one laying around? I do not. Here we go. Here's our trumpet. Um, do that. Can you see it? You can't see it. Do that. You want to get the bell. A lot of the resonance comes off the bell. Um, you're gonna, if you listen to any well-recorded trumpet part in solo, you're gonna hear the keys going up and down. You're gonna hear spit. You're gonna hear all that stuff. In the context of the mix, probably not. Uh, I, when I used to record a horn section, like a full complement of horns, um, doing like da 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 kind of stuff on disco records. I would actually take 187 in Omni, which means it picks up the same all the way around and have them stand in a full circle around it or at least a semicircle so that they could all vibe off of each other. They would look up and go, and, uh, bow, and they would nail the parts so much more effectively than putting everybody in a straight line and sticking one mic on the bell of each horn. So that's my preferred way to do it. And I really prefer to record horns with at least 12 inches. And again, depends on the part. Sometimes you want to record, believe it or not, a horn in a dead corner of a room um, because the part calls for that. Other times you want to record, you know, with a mic that's three feet away in a, a more lively, reflective space. It just depends. All right, uh, folks, I think we are done. Do you want to go an extra five minutes or so? I, I got nowhere to be. What does the publisher need to see when I submit with a collaborator, their name and what percentage of, you know, if they're 50-50, they need to see Tim Smith, Bob Jones, 50-50. Um, they're going to want uh, both your email addresses, both your phone numbers. And um, if you guys have a publishing entity, they will probably want that as well. Um, 
One thing I do want to do this year, by the way, for the sequels, I'm going to reach out to Mark Giovanni, who did that How to Produce Orchestral Music thing last year. I'm just going to rerun that. That thing was so good. The guy talks faster than anybody I've ever met before in my life, but you understand everything he says, lots of emphasis, and very, very, very good. So I'm just going to reach out and say, Mark, can I just play that again? I hope he says yes. Pretty sure he will. Um, Scrolling down. Average response time for custom critiques is usually, I want to say, and I should probably have uh, some of the folks in our department answer this, but usually 30 days or less. Uh, it depends on their availability. Like if you submit something that's a really oddball genre and that screener is out of town and won't be back for another two weeks, we're not going to probably have them do one thing. So we let things pile up so that they can sit down and do a four-hour shift of customs. But typically, I would say a month or less. Um, favorite reverb plugin? Believe it or not, um, hardware. I, I'm I grew up on Live Chambers, both the Criteria and Triad. Uh, Live Chambers. I, I Live Chambers an art form. No two sound alike, even two that are right next to each other, built by the same people on the same day and made out of the same materials, same dimensions, same everything. They will not sound the same. So you there's an art form. Raise the microphones, lower the microphones, move the speaker, throw a moving blanket, roll off bottom end, add a little 5K in this one. But sooner or later, when you get to know those chambers, you can make them do pretty much anything you want. So I love live chambers. I used to have a Lexicon uh, 224, not the 480XL, the blue and white version. I had the black and white original version, a little more angular looking. Um, I love that thing. I, I have not used the plug-in version of it, but I loved it. Um, I also at one point had an EMT 250 that looks like R2D2. It's one of the very first digital reverbs out on the market. Um, it's like 20 grand. And the thing stood about two and a half, three feet tall and had all these levers on top, looked like R2-D2. That thing sounded very rich. It didn't have a tremendous amount of options on it. The Lexicon 224 had a lot more options. Um, honestly, I love the reverb on Logic that comes standard with Logic. I mean, I'd listen to that stuff and go, why would anybody need to go buy anything else? But reverb is tricky. You really have to kind of understand the physics of reverberation or reflectivity, um, the re, you know, the, the physics of sound. If, if I have a snare drum and I know what I want the reverb to sound like, I know the numbers in my head. And I'm not a math major by any stretch, nor am I a scientist. But I know that the room should be like 60 feet deep, you know, with uh, 60 deep by... Uh, 40 wide with a 20-foot ceiling, you know. I know what these rooms sound like because I pay way too much. I walk into restaurants and, and I do that. <laughs> and my wife and all the other people are looking at me like, why did he just clap once? It's because I'm listening to the room because I think it would be a great-sounding uh, recording room or a chamber. Um, best record in a dead room or should I try my mic in a naturally acoustic room like my living room? Try in your living room. See what happens. Uh, what does the publisher need to see? Oh, I did that one already. Okay. 
Um, best sounding studio mixing headphones for $200. I wish I could remember the name. I bought the Audio AT 60s or 80s, I think, and they were right around 200, 250 bucks. I bought them because I bought the um, Waves plug-in that puts you in a control room, and I thought, how good could it be? But it was pretty cheap. Um, I fell in love with it. It really, it's the one that um, simulates uh, Ocean Way, Nashville. And I've actually been in that room while somebody was mixing, and I kind of know what that room sounds like. And I did not have high expectations, but when I listened to it, I went, holy crap. So basically, you put on your headphones, and you engage the software, and if you move your head to the left, it's like sitting in a control room, and you're hearing more of this, more of that. If you tilt your head down, tilt your head, it's literally like being in the space. They did that by doing time delay spectrometry on the whole room and measuring you know, how long it takes this frequency to reflect from that surface and that surface and that surface and then another frequency, blah, blah, blah. They crunch all the numbers and they come up with this simulation that sounds remarkable. So they have a recommended list of headphones that work best with that software. And I bought the Audio-Technica version, which I think was like 200 to 250 bucks. And they sound pretty darn good, gotta say. Um, Harman Kardon or Harman, uh, Harman Industries, I believe, which owns JBL and um, AKG. I can't say for absolute sure they're going to be a sponsor, but they're pretty excited about the Road Rally, and we're pretty excited about having them. They have a bunch of products that you guys will love, and they're the ones that are talking about bringing their headphones and having them for um, all the one-to-one -one mentors. I can't remember the model number, but somebody told me that they bought the AKG mixing headphones and they were blown away. And it was somebody that I, whose judgment I trusted. So there's that. Uh, and I recommend, I did recommend to the people from uh, Harmon and AKG that they have a headphone listening station outside of the ballroom because that won't disrupt what's going on in the ballroom. And they should have all those headphones there so you could come by and jack in your music into their headphones, see what it sounds like. Um, Dan Weber needs a hug. Oh, Dan. All right. I think, uh, is the Waves plug-in still free? No, it wasn't a show. It was an email that we sent out. And they actually let me pick the plug-in that we gave away. Waves gave away a free plug-in to everybody on Taxi's email list. And so many people didn't take it. All you had to do, give them your email, tell them where to send the key. Boom, done. Why'd they do it? Because they wanted your email. But you know what? Waves is one of the email lists I stay on. I love their stuff. Um, anyway, uh, look in your uh, spam folder. I'll bet you it's in there. We sent it out to like 125,000 people. Anyway, you guys, uh, I am not going to be here. I am going to be sitting in synagogue um, praying my butt off for Rosh Hashanah next Monday. And I believe I will be out of the country. I'm flying abroad to go to my daughter's wedding, 7,552 miles from where I'm sitting at this very moment. So for the, thank you, Marion, uh, for the next two weeks, I'm not going to be here, but I believe that Ariana and Liz are picking some 
like some of our best of episodes from the past that we think more people should see or watch them again and those will be playing anyway um thank you very much uh, on the congrats for my daughter glad you guys joined me today thank you so much for hanging out it was fun for me to do great questions by the way and i will see you guys i believe live in two weeks until then uh, let's have a listen to a little bit of Keith LeBrant. There he is. Bye-bye. I memorized this. <laughs>